Thank you for joining me for the Delivering Remarkable podcast, a look behind the scenes at the team members, projects, and care that are driving the Novant Health Medical Group. I'm Dr. Pam Oliver, president of the Novant Health Physician Network. On today's podcast, I sat down with John Howard, chief operating officer of the Novant Health Physician Network. John takes us on his journey to healthcare and shares his vision for the Novant Health Medical Group. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Thank you for joining me on the podcast today to talk a little bit about your journey here to Novant Health. First, introduce yourself. Tell us about your role in Novant Health Medical Group and how long you've been with Novant Health. Thanks, Pam. It's, it's great to be here today and, and to share a little bit about that. So I have now been with Novant Health Medical Group for about five months. I joined in April um, and um, I'm worked I get a chance to work with you very often uh, as the Chief Operating Officer and Senior VP uh, for the Medical Group and the Physician Network, and it's been exciting so far to be here. We are excited that you have hung in there with us, you haven't quit yet, <laughs> and to have you on our team. It's been wonderful working with you. I want to make sure everyone uh, knows a little bit more about you. So your journey has taken a lot of twists and turns. If you go all the way back to your college days, talk about where you went to school and what you were working toward. So that's a, a very nice way of describing my life in terms of a lot of twists and turns. So it's been um, a long, uh, wonderful, often unexpected uh, journey uh, in terms of what I'm doing today and what I thought I would be doing quite a while ago in my life. I'm not going to say quite how long ago that was. Um, I, I initially uh, went to school with a plan to actually be a pastor. Oh, wow. uh, I went to a Lutheran college in um, in Austin, Texas, called Concordia University, uh, and then proceeded into graduate school after that, and um, initially went to St. Louis, which was part of my history and connection for a little while there doing graduate work, and decided I, I needed to go in a slightly different direction. So um, We won't ask why. It, yeah, that was, <laughs> that's a whole other story, and that could be a, a separate uh, podcast altogether. Um, so I, I went back to graduate school and, and really had an interest and a passion for teaching. And I studied uh, English and philosophy at the University of Texas um, and then eventually continued that moving back to St. Louis because I met my wife when I first uh, moved there. We lived in Austin for a while, came back and completed my graduate work in St. Louis. And I taught, uh, I taught English and philosophy classes for about 13 years. Um, uh, we had started a family, uh, which was wonderful. I have three children. Um, I have a girl, boy, girl. Um, and, um, and realized that at the end of that journey uh, with our kids, having our last child, that, um, that teaching would have required a lot of moving in my life and decided I would just instead go back to school again. So uh, I went to law school. Very supportive uh, wife, I see. Uh, she was incredibly supportive, mm -hmm. um, patient, uh, tolerant, and, uh, and she stuck with me. And I couldn't have done uh, most of the things I've done in my life without her support. I worked for a fairly prominent law firm. I ended up representing a number of hospital and health system clients who were involved uh, in a series of cases in the late 90s and early 2000s called the pneumonia upcoding cases. So as you journeyed into healthcare, you originally were in healthcare from a, with your legal background, and then you got into more of an operations and leadership within the medical group. So tell us a little bit about that. 
That was a, it, it was a, a great opportunity that came up that initially wasn't focused on just the medical group, but grew into that rather naturally. So I was asked to take a lead role for the system in addition to the legal work around business development and planning. And at that time, uh, the system I worked for, which was Mercy based out of St. Louis, uh, had a predominantly primary care medical group um, with roughly about 180 physicians. And over a three-year period, we grew that to about 450 physicians and became a multi-specialty group. Over time, uh, the administrative lead, who was in a role much like what I have here at Novant, uh, and partnered with a physician in a dyad relationship, uh, left the organization. And the physician group, and I was very honored by this, asked if I'd be willing to take that role. So it was another great challenge now to say, I didn't grow up in clinic operations, but I suddenly had to, to learn how that worked. And I had to learn how we could both do what we were doing yesterday, but also do it better tomorrow. Right. And that was a great challenge. Yeah, I think one of the things I hope people get from your history is that you not only embrace and have excelled at the operation side and that compliance side of medicine, but early in your career in healthcare, that your advocacy and relationship building with physicians and caregivers uh, is much of what you could probably credit with your success as you continue to build your career in healthcare. Would you say that's fair? And I, I, that's, well, one, it's, it's fair and it's flattering and it's something I, I, I'm actually very proud of. Um, uh, when you work for health systems that were often very hospital-centric, um, there was a need I saw early on for administrative folks to be a physician advocate in that environment. Um, what I saw early on, and this was the thing that was amazing to me, is that our, our real ability to reach out and make a difference in patients' lives was always happening at the intersection of that patient-provider relationship. Right. And being able to key in on that and to advocate for how much that should matter to the system and what was going on. So advocating for physician leadership, advocating for meaningful involvement from physicians at all levels in the organization so that even the physicians who may not have a formal leadership role but are simply taking care of patients need to have voice and provide direction and create meaning for what that organization is doing was really very, very important. My, one of the favorite things that, that I've, I've, I've had the opportunity to do a little bit of here but not as much as I'd like uh, was to actually spend days in clinics with physicians mm -hmm. and to see those encounters with patients. And for some of them who were, could have been struggling with the EMR or workflows or the number of clicks or just the dynamic in an office and how things were happening, to be able to sort of hear their challenges, see their presence with their patients, and to be able to help them think about what can we do to make this work better for you today in terms of what's satisfying in the work you know, it's always good to say, overall, we're a well-run organization, but to see that change a physician's experience day to day and how they work with patients, or sometimes even just the number of patients that they have time for, because physicians have an immense amount of stress that they have to, I think, address. They're making tough decisions. Um, reimbursement's been squeezed for as long as I can remember now. Uh, and uh, so physicians want to provide great care and how can we find those spaces so they can do that and do it efficiently 
and without some of the headaches that surround just the business of medicine. It's amazing how what you described is as much as medicine changes, some things never change or are always a, an issue or concern. And as much as we think our area has and our system has problems that are really unique to us, this is probably the, the things that you encounter here are probably things that are happening across the, the country and that you've been dealing with and helping with for some time. I love hearing you talk about your journey, and so I want you to reflect. So when you wake up in the morning uh, and get out of bed and you know you're coming to work, tell me, what is your why? What is it that drives you and gives you a sense of purpose about what you currently do? So for me, I, there's probably a number of things that come to mind on my why, and part of the way I'll share this is, is in making the decision to come here. Um, because this was, um, I, I'm older, my kids are in a certain place, and we had maybe an opportunity as we're sort of becoming empty nesters that maybe we could do this. But I, I also had you know, friends in, in almost 30 years in St. Louis that I've, that I've been there, right. um, that it was like, okay, well this is a big change. Um, what I was doing before I came here immediately was I went back into the private practice of law and had sort of a blended consulting and legal practice working just with healthcare organizations, mostly health systems and health plans. And I loved that work. That work was great, and it gave me a great perspective about things happening all over the country. But when I went to our leadership meetings for our firm, um, our goals, our why, uh, were very measurable, and they were very objective. Mm -hmm. And when you work at a large law firm, it is things like profits per partner and profits per attorney. Mm -hmm. So when you think of the why in that environment, it is a mathematical equation. Mm -hmm. And here, we still have mathematical equations, but that's not always the driver behind all the things we do and the why. So when I think back to that, it is that um, I probably have become um, more of a realist uh, just mm -hmm. through the years in life, that I know that changing the world isn't something we all get to do or that's easy to do. Mm -hmm. But I still very much believe that we can change corners of our world. And that's sort of the piece that matters. And when I share with people some of my background that isn't just about where I went to school or what I've done, I think about um, why this matters and why it mattered to me at this point in my life. And I, I'll sort of bookend things. So one I mentioned earlier, my mother was in, was in uh, medicine. So she was, uh, she was a CRNA. Uh, her first uh, job in medicine was right out of nursing school. She went into uh, service in the Korean War. So she served as a nurse at the hospital in Seoul. It meant she also liked to tell stories about the TV show MASH and that it was really about her. <laughs> it wasn't. Uh, but she liked that, that story. And then when she came back, she did training for anesthesia. And then she worked where, uh, it, mostly in hospitals where uh, CRNAs were the only people providing the anesthesia care. Mm -hmm built a lot of relationships, obviously, with the general surgery staff and other surgeons who worked at the hospitals. And uh, because I was an only kid, I often hung out in hospitals. So my, my one funny story I will tell you, uh, and I have a great deal of respect for nurses in general, but when you have a six-year-old kid that you leave in the nurse's lounge, that's not the best place to leave imagine. your six-year-old kid. <laughs> so I learned a lot fast. Uh, <laughs> that, was, uh, that was both fun and scary, but hospitals felt very comfortable to me and caregivers felt very comfortable to me and being able to connect with them because of their purpose 
uh, was meaningful since I'm not clinical. Um, the, the other piece I'll, I'll say from the, the other side. So my father um, uh, uh, lived much longer than my mother and as an only child, uh, I spent a lot of time taking care of him and navigating the healthcare system with him. Uh, my daughter also had uh, a significant uh, diagnosis. So she was diagnosed with cancer when she was 27 years old. Mm. Um, and I worked really hard to navigate things for them and in doing that realized uh, how hard our healthcare system is. Yes. And it's not hard because the caregivers intend it to be that way. It's hard despite that. And um, I've often said that if I, if, I, if I ever win Powerball, which I don't really play, so I don't think that's gonna happen. Odds uh, that, are low. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> odds are low. Um, that I, I would love to just hang out in hospitals and healthcare systems and help people navigate. And, you know, 15 years ago, people didn't even use the word navigators in healthcare, mm -hmm. and we do now. And I don't necessarily see my job as to navigate, but I do think it's to try to build a system and to try to help providers do that so that we can connect with patients so it isn't so hard. And whether it's how am I going to pay for something right. or whether it's how do I get to something or how do I figure out how to participate meaningfully in my care, those are all things that I think we can do in meaningful ways. So um, I can't say that every day when I wake up, I know I'll get to do a piece of that. And some of the stuff I do may be on the edges a little bit. I think usually by the end of each week, I can find some things where I think maybe we made a little bit of a difference. That's wonderful. Oh, I love to hear your story. I love to hear that. Thanks again for joining me for the Delivering Remarkable podcast. Make sure to rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts so we can bring you more episodes like this one.